Are you confused about the Canadian political system? I know it might seem a little crazy. We don't vote for our prime minister directly at all. Um, we've got someone who is going to help explain all of that. He's actually the head of one of the parties in Canada, probably one that you've not heard of. Yes, there are more than just the conservative and little liberal parties in Canada. And you're going to learn all about that system and about the Christian Heritage Party from its leader, Rod Taylor. Stay tuned. John Henry, thanks for having me on the program today. It's a pleasure to be with you, and and a uh, hello to all your audience, both American and Canadian. Awesome. Thank you, Rod. Thank you for being with us. Um, let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, uh, Rod, thank you for joining us. Um, you have been uh, in politics for a long time now, and uh, as a Canadian politician, especially a party leader, you're able to uh, tell us about the Canadian political system a little bit. I think a lot of people wonder about it now that our American friends to the South are looking to Canada because they see these insane lockdowns and <laughs> encroaching communism. Uh, they're feeling the effects of that mm -hmm. themselves. Um, tell us a little bit, if you will, about how the Canadian political system runs, how it differs from the United States. Okay, well, the Canadian political system, well, we have a, a constitutional monarchy. Uh, we have a representative uh, parliament. Some would call it a parliamentary democracy. But uh, we have a House of Commons, and uh, the upper house is the Senate. And the House of Commons, we have 338 members of parliament representing, you can see on the map behind me, this is all divided, you can't see all the dividing lines, but 338 districts in Canada, electoral districts, which uh, each are represented by one MP. And uh, John Henry, I don't know if you have thought about this, but um, the average population of each district in Canada is about 100,000. It's the same number of babies as are killed in Canada every year. And so, uh, you know, I think of it in terms of every member of parliament has the opportunity to represent if he, if he or she will fight for pro-life cause to represent not only the 100,000 citizens of his or her district, but also the 100,000 pre-born uh, who uh, need a voice in parliament. So uh, when we have an election, and our elections are not consistently every four years as they are in the United States, uh, we are halfway expecting an election this summer or fall, and that's only two years since our last federal general election, and it's somewhat at the uh, whim of the prime minister. But when an election is called, citizens get to vote for the member of their district, the, the member who will represent them in the House of Commons. They do not get to vote for the prime minister. They do not get to vote for their senators. Uh, they only get to vote for the uh, individual who will represent them in uh, their district. And, and by the way, we, yeah, we do have the Conservatives, the Liberals, the NDP, the Green Party, the Bloc Quebecois in uh, Quebec. Uh, but there are actually about 20 federal parties registered at this time. 
I don't know if it's exactly 20 uh, above or below, that number goes up and down. Some parties uh, get registered and then they maybe run in one election and, and fall away or whatever. New ones come on the scene. <clears throat> but uh, unfortunately, most of the smaller parties' voices are never really heard in the House of Commons. There's uh, right now the Conservatives, the Liberals, the Bloc, the NDP, and the Greens are there. And those are the ones you hear from. And uh, quite often it is uh, the loudest voices, the prime minister being, uh, okay, I should go back up for a second, how the prime minister becomes the prime minister is, is uh, because he is he or she is the leader of the party that gets the most votes in the federal election. So they might not even have a majority. In fact, currently our liberal prime minister uh, Justin Trudeau does not have a majority in the House of Commons. Uh, he has less than 50% of the seats represented there, but he has been able to govern and I think govern very badly <laughs> with uh, the support of a couple of the smaller parties, the NDP, the Greens and the Bloc, who basically share his left-wing so-called progressive values, including the killing of the pre-born, the uh, killing of the elderly through euthanasia, um, you know, gender confusion being imposed on the masses uh, uh, in Canada, and excessive government spending. So, so there we have uh, a liberal, I, I would call it a coalition, because, um, so what happens, um, there's a couple of ways that an election can be called. Uh, one is a vote of non-confidence. So if this, <clears throat> especially in a minority government, the Liberals have less than 50% of the seats, and usually they all vote for what their leader wants, when they present a budget, which they haven't been very good at doing, but when they present a budget, uh, if over 50% of the members of Parliament would vote against the budget, that would be considered a vote of non-confidence, and the government would uh, fall, <clears throat> prompting... Uh, an election. The other way that the prime minister, if he or she wants to call an election, uh, can go to the governor general, <clears throat> who is the representative of the Queen of England, and also uh, she, the Queen, of course, is still our uh, monarch in Canada, and her representative, the governor general, uh, needs to dissolve parliament, and uh, then the election is called, we call it dropping the writ, and uh, we're scrambling, we in our party, the Christian Heritage Party, and all the other parties are scrambling right now to get ready for an election that could start anytime in August, September, October, November, or even uh, next year, or it could be put off for another two years. So that's uh, a little bit about how the Canadian system operates and sometimes how it doesn't operate. Yeah, so absolutely crazy. There's a number of uh, neat distinctives, I guess you could say. One, you mentioned that the... Senate is not elected at all. Um, the Senate is appointed by the Prime Minister. Uh, you you mentioned that the uh, parties uh, don't, you know, people don't vote for the Prime Minister at all. They vote for their local uh, member uh, of Parliament in their own riding or district, as you said. And uh, then the party that they represent the most of is the one who uh, is the Prime Minister. Um, and then you mentioned about the, the minor parties and so on. It's an it's an interesting system. It's, of course, British, the British system as well. One of the things, I guess, to note is that the, the monarch or, or, or queen or queen's representative here in the governor general, the actual power they, they have is, is not 
so much real as figurative. Uh, the prime minister really dictates what what they're supposed to do. So um, that's that's still it's more like a figurehead, uh, wouldn't you say, uh, than than actual reigning? That, that's correct. Um, <clears throat> now I don't know if it has to be that way, but that is certainly the way it has been for a long time. I often have wished that the queen would exert her authority uh, when some of these terrible bills have been passed, uh, you know, the euthanasia bills uh, and uh, some of those things, even even some of the budgets, I often have wished that the queen would step in and say, no, no, that's no good. But uh, uh, that hasn't happened for an awful long time. So uh, the governor general basically uh, does really the almost the will of the prime minister and uh, is appointed with the uh, approval of the prime minister. So, the and the Senate, as you mentioned, they are selected by the prime minister. So when the seat becomes vacant, um, then the prime minister puts one forward. There has been a move over the years to have the Senate elected uh, because they have so many uh, seats represented in each province. It's, uh, I believe it's 100 altogether. I'm not sure if it's right around 100 anyway, senators. And uh, the depending on the population of the province uh, provinces and various uh, agreements that have made been made in the past each province has so many senators uh, alberta has done this a couple times and is about to do it again to hold a uh, an election for their senator there is no uh, guarantee that the prime minister would appoint based on that but uh, uh, alberta says uh, yeah it's time that we start uh, electing our senators. So just like in the states, legislation can originate in either the House of Commons or the Senate, and it has to go back and forth, be approved by both houses, and finally get uh, the Governor General's uh, endorsement as well before it becomes law in Canada. Right. Now, uh, most of the time, I think that we've seen the Senate do some rubber stamping. Um, although interestingly, very recently, with regard to two very scary bills, uh, one on in massive uh, control of the internet information the government was putting forward. Uh, basically, it sounded like to clamp down on what they would consider right-wing media and so on. Uh, but also uh, with regard to uh, freedom on the pro-family side of things, it was very, very scary. And yet the Senate uh, didn't actually pass the legislation, which was very surprising. Yeah, so this is very interesting. Those bills, well, Bill C-6, which is the conversion therapy ban bill, which has been pushed heavily, which would interfere with a parent's right even to counsel their own children regarding their gender confusion or gender questions. And face jail time, um, by the way, if, if uh, they didn't yeah. go along with it. That, anyway, just to show you how extreme this all is. A, yeah. Yeah, with a pastor's right to uh, counsel one of his his or her uh, parishioners uh, in regards to, you know, people who have maybe transitioned or or gone down the road of what we would consider gender confusion, and and they maybe want to find their way back to uh, being comfortable in their own skin. And if a pastor counsels them in that direction, uh, could be. Uh, guilty uh, under this. Anyway, this bill has not become law. It is stuck in the Senate. The Senate has risen for the summer. In other words, they're not sitting to discuss legislation. And the interesting thing is the prime minister desperately wanted that particular bill and C-10, I'll mention that in a minute. Uh, he wanted them to pass before an election. Uh, he wanted them to become law. But uh, the Senate has risen, and we don't know the timing and all the reasons for the timing of the election, but we think that the Prime Minister 
uh, wants to get a vote in quickly this year to try to win a majority and maintain his status as prime minister for the next four years. Um, and we think next year he may realize that by the time he has to cut off some of these COVID payments to Canadians, and maybe raise taxes, he's not going to be as popular as he seems to be today among many. Uh, the other bill, as you mentioned, C-10 was an internet uh, communications control bill. They, they've uh, advertised it as uh, to promote Canadian content, but what it actually would do would uh, limit the ability of people with conservative social views to voice those concerns on the internet. Um, and, you know, uh, John Henry, when it starts to get where the government is controlling what you can say, uh, how you can express your opinions, whether it's through the internet, the written media, or in person. Um, it's a very scary time for uh, for democracy. Definitely so. In fact, one of the other interesting, and I think it's pretty novel, changes to uh, Canadian politics has been this, this whole notion of the approval, so-called, of the candidates for particular parties. So we, there is no freedom like, oh, you think, oh, I'm just going to run for this party. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, in fact, people can be parachuted into your own riding to run for that particular party in your riding. Can you explain that to us? Yes. Uh, well, they call it party discipline. Uh, and of course, you know, discipline can be a good thing if it's uh, used for a good purpose. But the uh, we recognize, I think most Canadians recognize, and, and those south of the border who may follow our politics a little bit, uh, that uh, the Liberals, the NDP, the Greens, and the Bloc are all uh, heavily leaning in the socialist uh, direction, the pro-abortion, pro-euthanasia direction, heavy spending, and so on. Uh, the Conservative Party historically has been seen as conservative, as holding the line on spending, as uh, retaining respect for the sanctity of life and respect for traditional marriage. But in recent years, of course, that's uh, gone downhill. Uh, there's been a, a move within the party, uh, unfortunately, we call them red Tories, but those who claim the name of conservative, I think in the States they call them rhinos, Republican in name only, but uh, in, in Canada, it's been a real factor. So within the party, there's the leader of the party who, if they win a majority, becomes the prime minister. Uh, but otherwise, it's still the leader of the party. They have uh, party whips. And when uh, uh, something comes for a vote, uh, it's not like every member of parliament can just vote according to their, uh, you know, their convictions. I mean, they can and they should. But if they do and they vote contrary to the wishes of their leader and the, the uh, controlling core of the party, they may face discipline, including up to and including, I mean, they can be kicked out of the party, as Derek Sloan recently was kicked out of the Conservative Party. Um, or the, the leader of the party might say, well, in the next election, unless you change, I'm not going to sign your papers. In other words, um, you won't be able to run as a conservative or maybe as a liberal uh, if if you don't tow the party line, and tragically, um, you know it's it's a form of cowardice. But there have been good people who have given up their convictions or abandoned their convictions um, simply because they want to get reelected again. And in some writings in Canada, uh, they're heavily conservative writings. If you don't run for the Conservative Party, you don't have a big chance of getting elected. And same liberal 
writings tending to be in the big cities and so on. Uh, same pattern as in the states with, uh, you know, social conservatives in the states uh, running for the Republicans. But anyway, unfortunately, party discipline has has uh, pressured a lot of MPs uh, not to fulfill either the wishes of their constituents or their own internal convictions, and that's tragic. Uh, we need people in Parliament who will stand up for life, family, and freedom. And uh, we do thank and appreciate those members of Parliament who are doing that in spite of their party's slide to the left. Uh, I think particularly of Kathy Wagenthal uh, uh, from Saskatchewan. She's a Conservative member. She introduced a backbench bill, C-233, which was a bill to ban sex selective abortion to keep Preborn girls from being killed just because they're girls, and uh, you know she's she's a tremendous uh, warrior for the preborn, but her party leader and uh, a number of her party members did not support it, and of course the uh, left wing uh, ruling party uh, did not support it either, so it it uh, did not pass. Yeah, so this brings us to uh, where Canada is vis-a-vis -vis the United States. The, the the reason why this is so strange over here is because we, in, in some respects, don't have any conservative party at all. It calls itself the progressive conservative party. Um, and there is some history back there with the reform, and we can go into that in a little bit. But for all intents and purposes, right now, our leader uh, in the conservative party, Aaron O'Toole, is a pro-abortion, pro-homosexual marriage with total intolerance for any other view. Um, and uh, so this makes for a totally bizarre situation. So you have the so-called left, which is all leftist communist. I, mean, I don't even think they're, they're can be called socialists anymore. They seem co totally communist. And then Aaron O'Toole, who in U.S. politics would be regarded as a total uh, liberal. It, it could, no one could envision him as a, a conservative of any straight. Even, even the rhinos would probably say, oh, come on, <laughs> you're too far for the left, even for us. But nonetheless, that's where it is. I think he's left uh, of Joe Biden, perhaps. I, I, I don't even know. It's so bizarre to see. So this is where the Christian Heritage Party comes in. And, and perhaps some other parties that might come up uh, and, and voice their pro-life, pro-family beliefs. But um, you know, you're in, in some ways like a voice crying in the wilderness because it, it's, you've been there. How many years uh, old is the Christian Heritage Party now? About 35 years. It right. uh, was registered in 1986. Uh, the founding convention was 1987, and the first election uh, where candidates ran was 1988. Right. And um, in terms of your policies, they are pro-life, pro-family, uh, and, and, and strongly so, uh, and, and obviously pro-God, your Christian Heritage Party, which is, which is also beautiful. Um, but let me talk for a minute about uh, where you are with the whole COVID nonsense, because that has been pushed down Canadians' throat, right, left, center, lockdowns, anything and everything we can do um, to get the jab, the COVID passports are coming. Trudeau can't wait to get in front of a camera to, to uh, say how wonderful the vaccines are and how everybody's going to have to take them. So um, where is the Christian Heritage Party uh, on this issue? Well, of course, we, we haven't had a convention uh, since the COVID scare began. Uh, but 
uh, I've as a leader and with our core, our uh, national board and so on, and leaders of provinces, um, we have moved, and I, and I think in, in recent months, moved rapidly uh, away from uh, the following the narrative that's being put forward both by the federal government and provincial governments. Uh, for those in the United States, uh, provincial government would be similar to uh, one of the state governments. But the lockdowns have been almost uh, uniform across the country. There have been different elements of it. Uh, but we've had uh, pastors arrested for holding church uh, services. Um, we've had pastors and churches being given fines, I mean, ranging up to a million dollars. Uh, businesses shut down. And uh, all for based on the idea that people being close to each other, healthy people <laughs> being close to each other, is somehow going to spread COVID. And this uh, narrative, as you know, has gone around the world. It's not simply a Canadian phenomenon. Um, I think when, when COVID came on the scene, I actually was in Washington, D.C. Uh, for the CPAC conference uh, back in the good old days when they had a different president. But, um, you know, everyone was kind of aware that, that COVID was a thing, that, that it had something to do with Wuhan. And, uh, you know, I think we were all willing to, uh, you know, take steps to prevent its spread. Um, but as time went on, we began to see that the steps being taken by the by the provinces and by the federal government didn't make sense. I mean, the mask mandates don't make sense. In British Columbia, for the first year of, uh, you know, since COVID came on the scene, not one person under the age of 30 died in British Columbia. The average age, I think, was 86 at that time dying from COVID, so-called from COVID. We know that those numbers are vastly uh, inaccurate anyway, but but let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they actually died of COVID, not of a motorcycle accident or whatever, as, as some of the uh, statistics are uh, that that far off. But, uh, you know, to, to have children in, in British Columbia schools getting the jab now, uh, which most people say should not even be called a vaccine. It's an experimental biologic product. It's uh, a lot of people, there's a lot of negative or adverse reactions to it. Um, and for children, there's no need for it. Um, and in the meantime, there are other uh, alternative medical approaches that uh, the government has not only ignored, but made very difficult uh, for physicians to use. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, all those things uh, to strengthen the immune system. And uh, if someone were to get COVID, you know, handle it. Anyway, the, we know that the statistics are that over 99% of the people coming down with COVID survive. And, uh, you know, especially in the younger ages, we didn't do a very good job of protecting our seniors in the, in the nursing homes, but you know we're making kids wear masks while they're gathered. It, it's ludicrous what's been done, and the uh, damage to the economy. Uh, some people say, "Well, that's just money." Well, it's not just money; it's people's livelihoods. Uh, something like two hundred thousand—I forget the number of uh, small businesses that have been closed and won't come back. You know, people that have worked hard to build up a business all their life. Suicides are up as a result. Uh, drug use and drug overdoses are up. Um, 
and the economy's in a shambles. We're over a trillion dollars in debt now. Of course, if those in the United States say, oh, I wish we were only a trillion dollars in debt. But uh, that's a lot of money. Especially and, when um, your population is one-tenth the size. So, I, you exactly. know, we're only at 38 and million. Last, last time I checked, we were spending about $56 million a day on interest on the national debt. That's just going up. And when with inflation and uh, interest rates rising, uh, who knows where that's going to end. Yeah. And it's all part of this great reset. Uh, you know, obviously, we don't have time to go into a lot of those details, but we are concerned. We in the Christian Heritage Party are concerned that the government of Canada is using this so-called crisis. Uh, I mean, it is a crisis now because the government has made it one. Rather than just handling the health uh, issues uh, as as they could have been handled, uh, now the, the country is is in trouble. And uh, I think some people think that the government is trying to see how far can we actually go if we use health as a, uh, a flag, you know, how far will the people go in allowing us to, uh, you know, take on dictatorial powers. It looks like people will go pretty far. People, Canadians, uh, you know, are people that usually are easy to get along with. Uh, you hear us saying, I'm sorry a lot, you know, and uh, we don't want to be a trouble to anybody. But uh, there's a real danger that we descend into the kind of uh, tyranny that could end up like Nazi Germany. And I think, uh, you know, I'm afraid many people don't realize that yet. Uh, and it's because they care about their neighbors. They say, oh, yes, I'm willing to make these sacrifices for the good of my community, for the good of my neighbor. And they don't realize they're being led down a garden path that uh, could end up in a very bleak situation. Absolutely. Um, a couple of thoughts there. One, I mean, your your allusion to Nazi Germany, I mean, people might be taken aback at that. I don't think so, because, you know, we're already creating a second class citizenry. We are already dictating that I think it's as of the 9th of August, uh, we're going to have two tiers. Basically, if you're vaccinated, you can come into the country, you don't need to do anything, everything's fine for you. If you're not, well, then tough luck for you. You've got a 14 day quarantine, you know, there's no way you have to be tested for COVID. I don't know how many times during that time. Uh, and we're going to call you every five minutes at home. A friend of mine um, was called, I think he said 16 times in one day. This is total insanity. So we're creating a second class citizenry. I think already in Quebec and maybe it's Saskatchewan, two provinces where they're already talking about for all non-essential services, if you're not vaccinated, uh, you're going to not be able to enjoy those non-essential services. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're getting to that Nazi style, uh, in Canada, which was always, you know, the land of our birth and, and, uh, a great free land. Rod Taylor, head of the Christian Heritage Party. What is your, what do you see for the future of Canada and what hope do you think there is for Canada in terms of the future? What do we need to do to get to a place of hope? Well, uh, in a general sense, we need to get back to God. We need to get back to the basics of uh, human dignity, uh, respect for life, uh, respect for freedom. Our, our campaign slogan uh, is life, family, and freedom. And um, uh, just a little history of the party back in uh, 86 when, when it was registered, there were some Catholics and Protestants that came together in a little town of Surrey, B.C., near Vancouver. And... Uh, they, they had been working within the bigger parties, even already way back then, and trying to elect pro-life MPs. And they found that w once they got them elected, 
that the party whips and party discipline and the, the temptations of office and whatever career po political <laughs> movements uh, kind of that they didn't always get the results they were hoping for. They were hoping to have some honest, courageous, decent people standing up for the pre-born and for marriage didn't always work out that way. So they said, we need a party that is based on Christian principles. Uh, some people say that Christian heritage should have had a hyphen between it because uh, we focus a lot on the heritage uh, and the preamble to Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms that's uh, part of our constitution uh, says, Canada is founded on principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. Now that's in the preamble and some judges and courts have dismissed that as uh, not really a part of so-called constitution. But um, we think it's a wonderful foundational principle. And the, our parliament buildings, our government buildings in Ottawa have 25 scripture verses uh, engraved on them. And, and one of them says, he shall have dominion from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. And um, the thing is, the founders of this country recognize that every blessing that we have comes from Almighty God. Uh, they recognize that we uh, human beings are made in his image, that we have a responsibility not only to each other, but to him and to his principles. And that uh, the prosperity of a nation, the freedom of a nation depends on our willingness to submit our will to his will. Um, you know, Canada is a great nation, has been uh, shown itself around the world for many years, uh, two world wars. Uh, we have been there uh, protecting freedom of other people, and now we're losing our own freedom. So we're really concerned about that. Um, but our, our purpose, we see ourselves sometimes as uh, the conscience of the political uh, elite in this country. Uh, we, we stand for election and we run hard f uh, to be elected. But even if, uh, even if and when uh, we come to the end of the on voting day, we, if we don't uh, get sent to parliament, we still think our duty is to speak truth to the public. Uh, and so it's a bit of a prophetic voice, maybe a watchman on the wall, we blow the trumpet, you know, and warn of what's coming. Um, but we do see hope. I know uh, John Henry, the LifeSite News, Campaign Life Coalition, uh, Interim, are forces for good, along with a number of other pro-life organizations in the country. And you folks have done a tremendous job of working with young people. And that's where I do see uh, hope for this nation. There, there is a growing understanding among the young people of Canada uh, about the fact of uh, preborn human life, that it, uh, it's not just a blob of tissue, the lies that, that uh, these generations have been told um, in the public system. Um, and so I, I am encouraged by that, and I'm encouraged by your faithfulness and that of, you know, Jim Hughes, Jeff Gunnarsson, and others who have worked so hard, Paul Tunes, uh, you know, to bring this message uh, to the people of Canada. Uh, we, we have a responsibility to keep speaking the truth, even when it is not necessarily popular and not necessarily echoed in the mainstream media. But if we fail to speak the truth, uh, then we bear responsibility uh, for, you know, 
the society not knowing what's happening to us. We, we, we blow the trumpet, and if they respond, praise the Lord, uh, that's the best possible outcome. If, if the public fails to respond, uh, either at the polls or in other ways, uh, laws that are being passed and so on, well, at least we've done our job and we can uh, you know, be content. Our conscience will rest easy uh, if we've done everything we can do to uh, restore a sense of truth and dignity to Canadian culture. Amen. Amen. Rod Taylor, thank you for being with us in this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Go check out Christian Heritage Party, chp.ca. Um, and uh, good Canadians will have some place to park their vote uh, come this next election, whenever it may be. God bless you. And yeah, thanks. God bless you all. We'll see you next time. Thanks very much, John. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.